0: My guest today currently serves as Vice President of the Cloud and Services Business for IBM US. He's responsible for a segment serving 100,000 IBM clients in North America, driving around 1.6 billion business annually. In his current capacity, he's also managing new client acquisition, Red Hat strategy, and other key growth initiatives for enterprise go-to-market teams. Prior to this, he was leading Red Hat acquisition for IBM US, where he was responsible for assuring success of a $34 billion acquisition. And before that, he was the director of digital sales strategy and transformation globally at IBM Digital Business Group. He led the strategy and transformation initiatives for a global digital sales force with over 4,000 employees supporting the entire portfolio of IBM product, products, offerings, and solutions. Staffart, Karaja, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hi, Paul. Glad to be here. That's me. some CV. That's some set of accomplishments. You
1: must be very proud of it. Thank you. I've been very fortunate to work hard with leaders that trusted me, gave me opportunity. And I'm proud that I managed to deliver the expectation. And. You're from Turkey originally and
0: you grew up, I think you said in Istanbul.
1: Yes. yes. my is Turkish, the accent is Turkish. That's where I was born and I grew up in Istanbul. And I moved to US five years a, ago. It's amazing it's only five years ago because you,
0: you, I would, listening to you, I know you have a, it's a, say a non-American accent when you speak, but I would struggle to know where to put it. I, yeah, Turkish is a unique one. It's not the most common yeah, one, I it, assume, as well. Yeah. So, but uh, it's a fabulous place, Istanbul. I've only ever been there twice, but uh, I had the pleasure of being able to take a couple of days off on my own. I'm able to walk around and just soak up the atmosphere and sense of, in some respects, crazy place in that it just, there's so much going on and so much definitely. life there. It's amazing. And you go know, across the bridge, across the... the, the yeah. And people are fishing and just.
1: Yeah. I may not be objective on this one, but I can say it's one of the best wonderful cities in the world. It's a 6,000 years old city with a huge history. As you said, it's connecting east and west. So you can see the cultures of the both and you can see the life, the livelihood of 15 million people living 724. Alive. It's that kind of a city. So I would say after that one, New York was the only second place I could have lived. That's why it's worked out well to transition. What do you miss about it? Of course, the food. It's never the same. We are proud of Turkish food always. Friends, family, still back at home. A good chunk. But New York is home now. Got used to it. Happy. I'm trying to watch American football now a bit more than the real football where people actually play with the feet, as you would expect. I'm acknowledging those are, but life is good. Cannot
0: complain. Yeah. I'm curious to know about the journey from young boy in Istanbul to where you are now. If you had any sense ever of where you're going to end up and what you're going to be doing.
1: Yeah, so I'm an engineer by training. That's what I wanted to become always. And I became an engineer at electronics. I was very excited when I got out of the college. I worked as an engineer. It didn't last long. But I worked in India, Cambodia, Philippines, a good chunk of the world that you would consider as developing, but that provides you a great opportunities to learn, great opportunity to develop yourself and accomplish things that help people and the community there as well. So I was proud of what I did, but I didn't want to be an engineer forever. I wanted to get into the business side of the coin. Then I left the job, went to Belgium, had a master's degree more on the business side, on the economic side, and then... Got into sales. IBM was my first sales job. I wasn't sure what sales was or how it would work or not, but I met this wonderful woman in an interview and she was like, yeah, I want to be like her. She was like such a strong character, to the point always, great communication skills. I said, yes, that's the person I want to become. I got into sales. Somehow it worked out well. I became a first-time manager. I had a job for Middle East Africa region, mostly traveling to South Africa, Dubai, Egypt, Kenya, like the usual countries. The bigger economies on the region, then out of the blue company said, would you consider moving to New York? We have a role for you at worldwide. I said, why not? That would be amazing experience. (laughs) And without moving to New York and it was a couple of years, kind of expectance that I had, but became home now and five years and counting. I did different jobs at worldwide level, more on the strategy transformation side, I got back into United States, which is the biggest market. And it's biggest country for us is a company as well, from our footprint perspective, it's amazing here the scale and the amount of innovation that you get involved with, especially the company in tech that's leading for so many years. Uh, and I got into different jobs around business development, around the acquisition side and how we can make things work with them. with right, would cost them more of of a scale business where right? you have several thousand customers. You traveled a lot before you moved to the States.
0: So I can assume that you'd been very accustomed to working with different cultures. What I'm curious about is living in the U.S., how you find that's different from Turkey in terms of what do you like the most about living in the U.S.? And then what are the kind of things where you feel, I still need to get used to that. I'm not quite used to it yet.
1: Yeah, it is. We can talk a lot of things about where sales is growing, where technology is growing, a lot of things. But at the end of the day, people buy from people, and you deal with people, and people are unique in any culture anyway. And then you have all these buckets that we like to generalize sometimes, which for a good reason it makes easier for us to understand. And definitely, to your point, it's much different to make business in Philippines than Turkey, than in South Africa, than in Europe, or in America right now, in the United States. And I think one of the most critical skills anyone can have personally to succeed as an individual or as a manager or very move, is adaptability. Yeah. That's the skill that you would hear from diving courts, which, you know, they're not actually diving courts, but the most intelligent, species that has the highest chance to succeed, is not the most intelligent, neither the strongest, it is the one that can adapt the best. I butchered the quote, but something in that context. And I truly believe that. We need to, there are certain basics that are consistent, which is you want to understand what the other person feels and believes and thinks and needs, and you're trying to satisfy those. But it is being done on very different levels, right? The level of directness is very different. The amount of, the power distance is very different across these cultures. And you somehow have to adapt. One thing that I would say Growing up in Turkey, in a city as Istanbul, gives you that flexibility to adjust. It was a transferable skill, but in general, it's still a tough experience to adjust, I would say. You asked, what is the one thing that has been the best and what is more the hardest one? I would say the best side of moving to yes, New York is one of the most diverse cities on this earth, I think. You can meet a lot of people with different backgrounds, different personal stories, as well as Strong acumen in whatever the field they are in, and it's great to get inspiration. The scale is much bigger here. The amount of talent that's coming from around the world is much bigger here. I would say that's the one that I would pick as the best aspect of moving to U.S. and doing business in U.S. You see a bigger pool of talents, driving bigger impact on the economy and the market. Then the hardest part to adjust, or the part that I still struggle to adjust, I would say, is... um, the way of doing business is different. And I don't think it's a generic statement about all of the U.S. either. Within U.S., you have different pockets and different buckets of people acting in certain ways. But there are cultural nuances in terms of what you would get into and what you would not get into. And as a Mediterranean, we have a different way of building relationships and approaching with people. And in the U.S., the focus is more on the outcomes starting earlier. It is less of that relationship aspect, if that makes sense. You would get into the business more quickly. There will always be, of course, the kindness and checking how people are doing and the certain basics, but for a Mediterranean culture with Italian, I may start just hugging each other at first, and we may be talking 15, 30 minutes about things that have nothing to do with work, and then maybe get into the discussion about the work. Here, that goes a bit the way around, which I think makes sense. It's yes. a very fast pace. Yeah. You know? okay. It's interesting because for me, as a
0: European, and again, like the US and Europe, you um, are in different subcultures. It's not one homogenous mass. But I think, and certainly with Mediterranean countries, that relationship first, but that's all about building trust. I think the difference in the States is they, we have lawyers for that. So if we have lawyers, we don't need trust because they'll take care of anybody who steps out of line
1: yeah I would say it slightly differently. I think trust is absolutely yeah. critical here in u s as well. The trust is more personal for Mediterranean countries. Trust is more based on accreditation and based on more the task itself here so they expect you to be at top of your skill level. they expect you to add value to that conversation. they expect you to be backing whatever promise you made legally as well to your point but it is, the discussion starts more on the value, the benefits rather than Italy, again, Spain or Turkey being more focused on the relationship itself at first. Yeah, yeah. No, just yeah. someone nuances. Yeah.
0: So tell me, when you were
1: younger, who influenced you the most and why? If I pick one person, that would probably be my father. I grew up in a humble family. My father was a cop. He raised three kids. I have two sisters. One is a researcher at the college, the other one's a teacher. And my mother was taking care of us at home. So it was never easy to raise three kids, sending them to college, get through all the education, both financially. So he always had to do extra jobs, work on different things. So a couple of things that impacted me a lot. One, I learned to appreciate the work and to having that income and then the sustainability. So the hard work pays off. That's what, that's what you need. And the second one, you may have a lot of issues. You may have a lot of challenges. Family first, no matter what. That's the second rule. Mm-hmm. Biggest part of that. And then the third one is no matter you struggle with what, again, it can be financial, it can be other aspects, but there are people that you can help. You can reach out. You can do something that will make their lives easier, better. You should never lose that perspective. There'll be the third bucket. Still, there's stuff to share with people no matter where you are and what you're doing.
0: Sounds like as well as you list those off that they seem to be values that are important to you to this day.
1: Absolutely. I would always look for opportunities. Again, I'm trying to join to this podcast to share some of the experience I have. If there are people I can mentor, that's one of the biggest happiness points I have at work these days, because if you're helping someone at some level and trying to get involved with nonprofits to help them out, to move the needle for the society, for the community, family is always first. That's given. And then, yes, I built my career based on... Work. Talk to me about that, about the mentorship is there
0: uh, what i'm curious about to know when you talk about mentorship is it people in business mentoring them through that or is it people outside of business mentoring them more about life for example because it, it takes a really different aspects to mentorship
1: absolutely so humbly what i'm trying to impact is i have had the opportunity to work across different countries in different roles and well, I had a fast track career with a company like IBM, so I'm trying to help people from that aspect to share what works well for me and what are the things that maybe helps for them as individuals. That's one side from a career perspective. And the second side of it is the people that are trying to struggle with the same questions from a business perspective that I did struggle or I do struggle with was always great thing we can do it across peers you may be at competition we may be at partners we may be at clients but i think we should and we can share about the topics and they may be on completely different fields but there are still lessons learned it can be about sales it can be about corporate strategies it can be about change management a lot of topics that a lot of folks have experienced in. Mm-hmm. i'm looking to share myself where i can help people again not something that i expect it's just to be able to help people it feels good and then the third one is there are lots of where I saw the most impact I can have at scale has been there are lots of great ideas young folks coming into out of the college have some of them are really trying to accomplish things in the nonprofit world just to move the needle again for the society they can really appreciate some support based on the experience they don't always have the acumen on the business side. They don't always have the acumen on the technology side. They don't always have the network required to get some of the things that may be easy for us. Oh. And helping them out with those kind of things, connecting the dots, connecting people, it matters. That's what I'm trying to help with.
0: Sometimes I've seen people who do mentoring and volunteering will do it because it's, a, for them, It okay, it makes them feel good, but a lot of them that I've seen do it okay, this is going to sound a bit silly for their CV, or they'll do it for the networking opportunities. Who they get to meet? To you, I'm sensing that it's much more personal to you. And I was curious to know
1: why. Is there a backstory to it in terms of why? That, I, think, I think that three things people can get from mentoring or doing something good. And I don't think there's any shame in Either of them. One is, of course, it feels good. There's a selfish reason as well, but that's a fact. The second one, of course, is good on the resume. It may be good on network building, and if they're doing it for that reason, that's great. Just and still do it. It's good for the outcome still is the same, and that will result. The third aspect that we should not miss that I think is very valuable is it gives you a world that you don't get exposed usually. It gives you an experience that you wouldn't get exposed usually. <laughs> And the self-growth, self-development. So if one thing that has helped me along the way in my tenure at IBM or growing in professional life is experience. Like it's a discussion about how I can grow as an individual and talking to people outside my field that are struggling with certain things, as much as I may be helping them out with sharing my experience, but gives me something to learn, That's one side. If you're engaging with a newer generation coming fresh out of college, I may still be considered young, but they are much more vibrant. They have different thoughts. They have different ways of doing business. I still get exposure to that. That's pushing me, myself, further ahead in my own personal development. So that would be the third aspect of it. Do I have a personal story that pushes me on being more on the giving side as well? Honestly, as I said, I grew up that way. I've been raised that way. I've been raised as a humble family, and I've always been taught that it's good to Back. So it was a natural thing to me. I didn't question ever that, is it something I should be doing or nothing? It was part of the life experience that I grew up to and that's made me happy from early ages. So I just... yeah. I, I, I wonder, but as you were talking about it, was it a
0: cultural thing whereby you talked about Mediterranean culture as being relationship first, bottom line second, whereas the U.S. can be a little bit more bottom line first, relationship second. And that can be reflected in outside of work activities as well a little bit. But it seems to be, again, yeah, there's a personal gain you get for it, but also it's about making an impact.
1: Absolutely. Maybe cultural aspect as well. We have this discussion always, some cultures are more individualistic. Some are not, and that may be part of it. But there are lots of people doing great things in the U.S., having uh, great impact yeah. on people i think they deserve that most yes of. no for sure you mentioned that
0: when you mentor people that there's a lot of common issues that tend to come up what would be the most common ones that you deal with where people need mentoring and need support and i'd like to understand a little bit about the process then as well but how they go through that
1: i want to give Two different examples with two variations one maybe something in the context of career type mentoring how to help people and i can give the perspective on what i get with my mentors myself as an individual then i studied in turkey i moved to different countries i did roles in different parts of the world one thing you need is people that knows you that trust you and that are in you and that also knows what you can or cannot do. So they need to have a good understanding of you. Then the second side of the equation that they can help you with is there will always be opportunities. It doesn't have to be a new job. It's, I'm not talking about a salary increase. I'm not talking about a promotion, but I'm talking about projects. I'm talking about things that you can learn more to And one thing that helped me a lot along the way is those type of extra activities on top of the day job that makes you work a bit harder, a bit longer but gives you that experience to reach to that next level. So one biggest benefit I got out of my mentors have been them getting a broader view of what's happening out there and linking me to points that I may stretch myself. I may benefit the individual there. If none of this is an extra activity, I'm not getting paid for that. It's not the day job, but you're still doing something that benefits both parties. Getting to those opportunities is critical. So I'm trying to help folks especially within the company that i worked for where i have those kind of relationships the, the, with the same way i'm trying to direct them where they can find those kind of opportunities that they can do more not for anything other than simple self development personal growth and that also gives them network that also gives them further opportunities to career advancement that's one side then from a professional perspective they are Various topics, right? At the end of the day, especially for a company at the size of IBM, you see a lot of different things, discussions about digital sales inside sales, how we scale alternate routes, how we drive ecosystem partnership type engagements, how we drive route optimization for the enterprise sales force, how we engage at the age of COVID, like how do we shift to remote management of our teams? There are certain topics that are crossed industry that are cross company that everybody is dealing with and the discussion becomes one how can we learn from each other's experiences and then that is why things become tricky because there are lots of external associations sports things that are trying to bring those individuals together i would recommend everyone to sign up for those but also the discussion is if you have some personal connections those people that. external that may not have a stake in the discussion if you explain the situation one they can give you an objective opinion you are too buried into the topic you will not see the full picture Mm -hmm. the second is they'll give you advice because they have some experience in that field one way or another as well and then the third one is they'll push you if it's a good mentor that you trust they're not always going to tell you good things or they're not going to always tell you the things that you want to hear but you need that balance check in life, in professional life, especially. where People push and pull you in different directions than you want to go to, because that's how you find the right path. Do
0: you make a distinction between mentoring and coaching? And if so, what is the distinction?
1: So you need a little bit of ball. The main distinction to me between mentoring and coaching is helping someone find their path. Mentoring is simply. In a way, telling the path. So, you need to use both in any discussion that I'm referring here. But when you're trying to coach someone, uh, it's a funny, it's like an overused analogy, but it's about teaching people how to fish. So, you need to find a way to help them navigate their thoughts, help them nav- navigate their issues, and come up with the answers. The, the worst thing you can do someone is give them an answer that you think is the right in any kind of discussion that you would consider as coaching. That is not coaching. Mm-hmm. On the mentoring right. side, it may be simply giving a suggestion or advice where it can be a potential discussion. So one is more about the answers, the other one is more about the questions, I would say. That's the biggest distinction. Yeah.
0: Are you as a mentor holding people accountable or is that, yeah, is that part of it or is it the kind of like, it's not about accountability, it's about something else?
1: I would say I'm trying to coach people to make themselves more accountable and that's what we all need to do more. But mentorship, I take it as more of a one-way discussion with more success rates if you don't have expectation in return. So it's good to keep people accountable to what they say and what they want to do. So you push them forward and further, but then to be a healthy balance. It is not, I don't think it is the place of the mentor to question why they got or how they got, it's the question of how we can make them take a further step. In terms, because I can imagine your
0: time is very valuable and you don't probably have a lot of spare time, so... You can't just be making yourself available to everybody. What do you look for in a, for first part of the question, what do you look for in a mentee, somebody who wants mentoring? And the second part of it is, if I, anybody out there felt they needed mentoring, how would they go look for, what would they need to look for in a good mentor? So take it from the mentee perspective, first of all, as in, How do you decide somebody's going to be a mentee so that you're not wasting your time? And then the second part of that question is, how does somebody find a mentor?
1: For a mentee, there are certain things that I think it's a personal relationship at the end of the day. It should be helpful. There are a few things that I think it's good to make sure this for me personally. One, the motivation of the other individual. I think, yeah, the more self-driven that person is, the more ambitious that person is to get some life positive, some life better. Likely if that you can help them. So that is one piece. The second one, again, this is more of a personal relationship. So you need to have a frequency that works for both parties. You need to have a good understanding of how each other communicates mm. and that works for both parties. It's not something, sure, it's something to build over time as well, but you need to understand how that person communicates, how you communicate and do they match? Do they align to their expectations versus your skill set and how you can move that needle, you need to look at that. And then the third one is we all have a fine spot. Uh, we like people that are like us, always. If your manager is hiring, I don't need to get into stats or anything here, but we have a tendency to go for folks that are similar to our backgrounds, similar to our profiles. So I'm trying to push on that just to push myself out of the comfort zone to see how I can have that benefit out of mentorship personally as well. So the more diverse the individual background is, the more diverse the background of the, the personality of the individual is, um, I try to prioritize those answers a yeah. little because I think it's helped in the long run to me and also it helps to help individuals that may not directly always have access to these kind of things. That's one side. Then, sorry, what was that? A question was, somebody's looking for a mentor what makes a good mentor? Yes. I think the first and most important aspect is define why are you looking for a mentor? What's the objective? Are you looking for somebody to sponsor your career with you to help you navigate career type conversations? Are you looking for a mentor just to help with a specific subject, specific topic? Are you looking for a mentor that's gonna help you with broader things just besides the professional career? You need to be crystal what you expect from that relationship. Then the second piece is you need to be really clear with that individual, this is what I'm trying to get out of this. Here are the three things that I can look for. Do they work? Do they match? So you need to have some sort of agreement beforehand saying, here's the direction I want to go. These are the three things I may help your help with. And are you up for it? I think being transparent, being direct, that helps. And the third one is, again, it's good to have people with different perspectives, that people with different backgrounds so they can challenge you more. It's always good to find individuals with some further backgrounds that are different than yours, different areas of the business, different parts of the company, different companies. So that that would be the third one. Okay. There's a couple of questions that popped into my mind. One was, I know you can
0: buy coaching. You can pay for coaching. I've never heard anybody charge for mentoring. Would that even ever work? I'm not talking about you and your relationships at all. I'm just talking about the concept of it. Does it even make any sense? It does in coaching. It does in training. I just can't imagine it in the context of mentoring. To me, it might spoil the
1: the goal of it. I don't know. I'm just curious to know your own thoughts on it. Never thought of it, honestly. If I give my two cents, I think that would be called something else, in my opinion. Yeah. At least. I think it's good to have support from individuals that may end up at the end of state charge you. They may give you a great advice for, again, this career, how to do your job search, how to advance, get a promotion that you're looking for, how to just improve your presence. Yeah. A lot of things right. you can think of, skills as the core competences, or just to seek advice, there are lots of great people out there that have great experiences that may charge yeah. for it. But I think that's a different yeah. relationship than it. Maybe like told you. I never it on the Yeah, it's more of a consultancy that you're getting at the personal level, and it's, there's no shame in doing that. In either way, I think it's a great relationship. I think there are lots of things that we can do. The biggest investment you can do is to yourself. So if you find somebody that you think can add value to you, your career, your personality, your advancement, then just go for it. I just don't think
0: that's meant. No. Problem. Okay. Cool. I, I like the answer. Um. You mentioned about diversity in terms of the people you work with. And I was curious, you said that, yes, you get, you're gonna get something, you're gonna feel good about helping others, so accept that. I'm wondering what else you get from working with a diverse group of people. Maybe as you think through the people you've mentored, what is it that you've learned about, your, what have you learned about life, about humanity? from those people who, yes, you've helped, but I guess what I'm asking is in what way have they helped you?
1: Yeah. So I think two things, again, one, when I counted the three benefits that I think mentorship provides, one is, um, you learn, okay. You learn from that person's experiences as well. You get the exposure to a different career, different life, different personality that you normally don't. And the more diverse that is, I think the more you can get out of that. So that's the one side of the equation. So if that person has a different background, doing different things, driving different outcomes, then that's great. And the second piece, uh, I've been very fortunate to work in different countries, different continents, with different folks, with very different backgrounds. The biggest benefit that gives you is question certain beliefs that you have to understand better that things are not black and white and 50 different shades, and you need to go through those, and it pushes you as a person to grow more. It is no difference for mentorship as well. It may be a lot of topics that you don't know enough about. Again, if you're talking about diversity, let's you know, go head on. If it is a discussion about race, you may not know what the other person is living through, and you don't know what is right to ask or wrong to ask, But if you approach with sincerity, trying to help that person and ask the basic things, you get a perspective into life that you couldn't otherwise. We're talking about a lot of issues in this country, in the United States, which is one of the most advanced ones. But if you pick a simple one that nobody would argue about is obesity. And we're talking about putting calories on any restaurant in the United States so that people can make healthier choices. Which is the perspective we see, but on the other side, there are individuals that are making choices, looking at the calories, trying to get the biggest return for the buck that they have to spend because they're not sure if they can get the next meal afterwards. So if they can get two thousand calories for the same five dollars, they're gonna go with that instead of the three hundred calories that we think is healthy. When you hear that perspective, it makes you challenge certain thoughts. It makes you challenge certain beliefs that you have in life and adjust yourself on how you can actually help people or not it's just yeah that's interesting Interesting. yeah
0: i wouldn't have thought of that either because we tend to live in a bubble in our own bubbles and how we frame an issue it's very much influenced by our own experiences and perspectives and life situation i would have never thought of that either and what it does is it again reminds you to check your judgments check your I don't want to call it biases. They're not necessarily biased. They're just assumptions, I guess. Your own assumptions.
1: Beliefs. Even beliefs. Beliefs, values. I think it's good to check always ourselves. Whatever the strongest belief we have, there's always a different perspective. It's always good to keep the open mind to hear the story. We don't have to change what we believe. I don't think we have to change what we value. But it's always good to keep an open mind to what the other side of the equation is, what the other side of the story is, just so there's a strong way to move forward.
0: Yeah. I guess the outcome of that then is to be less judgmental and more curious and more open.
1: Yes. And if you make it a bit more pragmatic in terms of how it helps you professionally or personally, if I go back to what I said earlier, the biggest skill that helped me along my career is adaptability. You need to adapt to the circumstances to deliver. It may be... As a seller, your territory is changing, your clients changing, your quota changing, your product set is changing. You may be moving to a different company. You may be moving to a different country. You may be moving to a different continents. Or a lot of life things happen and you find yourself in different situations or you get promoted and get into a new role. How you adapt to that, how fast you adjust, course correct and do better. That is the number one skill for your success. And the more open mind you keep, the more curiosity you keep in life in general, you translate that into work as mm. well, and this would help
0: I read an interesting article recently. Now, when I say an article, it was not a scientific article, although I think they were claiming science, as, so there's a background, and they were talking about adaptability. And they said that people from countries like Britain, Ireland, were more adaptable than people from. I don't know that they said Mediterranean. What they said is where it sh- it, the sun shines all day long. And their point, the argument was that if you live in a climate like Ireland, you have to be far more adaptive. You, start, you learn just to accept change as a constant. And therefore, you, the adaptability is built into that. If you're going outside, it could rain ten minutes later. It could be sunshine. And therefore, you just accept it. And you tend to be more adaptable than where everything is a constant. And I don't know, I'm curious to know if there's any truth in it. I really don't know. Again, it wasn't a scientific argument, but uh, I don't know. Is it hardwired or is it more something that we experience as we go through life that makes us more or less adaptable?
1: Maybe it's a bit of both. It makes perfect sense. It's life experiences for us. And if the weather is one of them, it changes our mood drastically. If the weather keeps changing during the day five times versus always sunny outside uh, and when it will rain and you don't live that four seasons as much, then it's maybe one of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. it also leads to a fact where we've got more pubs <laughs> per head of population than anywhere else. That could be a factor. I wanted to ask you I, what you like to do with your time off because you're a busy person so you must have to then make time for downtime. And I guess, how do you feel, how do you spend that?
1: One thing that I usually like to do is biking. That's one of my Biggest exercises that helps me focus, clear my mind, relax. I'm not able to do it these days. I fell oh, off it no. recently. The bike didn't like me as much. A few more weeks and I'll be yeah. back on it. Well, parking. Oh, last it's flat. It, it's racing mostly. You know, yeah, racing city bike kind of approach. Especially along the water. If you bike 15 miles, 25 kilometers. I'm trying to go between different metric system and system. <laughs> but that helps a lot and that's one of the good ones then the second one as i mentioned i got into sailing these days it shows how to learn to respect the power of wind yeah. that in life that we cannot control that we need to leverage but we need to go to their way to be able to leverage this i think great philosophy we can replicate in life as well that's what sailing is and more importantly again it's great I grew up in Istanbul. It's a city with water all around it. I love water. That's one of the biggest calming things that I have in life that just makes me happy. And being on a sailboat, that's one of the best ways to enjoy the waters and the great team sport as well.
0: Hey, can you do that in New York? I know New York is on water, but I wouldn't have thought it was a great place
1: for boating. I don't know. Yeah, it's not the best place. There are certain sailing clubs on Hudson River. and. That's what I'm doing. But the thing is here more the season and the weather and how it helps and don't help, I wouldn't say it is the best place on earth, but you know, we get the max out of what we can given the circumstances we yeah. it.
0: And you're into biking and uh, have you tried e-bikes? Yes.
1: Yes, I try. I think it's great. In terms of how varies from one place to another, I prefer the hybrid ones because I still feel the need to turn the pedal myself right. as well. Uh, sorry, that's, uh, the
0: hybrid, uh, sorry, there's a difference in between the U.S. And here, the, you have by law, it has to be a pedal bike. So it has to be a, a hybrid is an e-bike, where in the States, you could just have a throttle only electric bike. Yeah. No, here you have to, and there's right. different categories. You can go 20 miles and then there's a 28 mile an hour bike as
1: well but, it helps a lot with transportation without sweating yeah. i'll click when we need it but it's more of opportunistic discussion i think it helps to burn more calories it helps to have more yeah. endorphin out of it so i enjoy biking for the sake of biking You bikes won't be able to play yeah, cool. i want to talk to you a little bit about leadership now in terms
0: of you came from an engineering background and then moved through different roles and you're now in a senior position in ibm and I wanted to get a sense of where the, the personal, what you struggle most with in terms of leadership. And then also on the other side, what is it about leadership that gives you the greatest sense of accomplishment and achievement?
1: Yeah. So I became a first time manager when I was, I think I just turned 21, 23, 20, 24. Wow. I was 24 years old. It was like, one week after my birthday, it was the birthday present. Awesome. i say for my snake at that time, I became a manager. The transition, especially for a salesperson, is a bit tricky because in sales, we always appreciate that person coming into the room, giving that perfect pitch with the most unique way possible and sign the deal and leave, right? That's the approach. When you became a manager, when you become a sales manager, the discussion is no longer about having a perfect pitch. The discussion is about how we can help team have a predictable, replicable way of selling, way of approaching things. Would you have a process that, as long as they stick to, that's going to give you an 80% success rate, 70% success rate. It's never going to be 100%. You're not going to aim for the stars. You're going to aim for making people better with a more consistent Process-based perspective. That's the management side of it. We'll come to the leadership aspect, but changing perspective is the important one. I think being an engineer of approaching things that way helped me along that thinking saying there's a mechanism, sales is a process. As long as you do the right thing, four out of five times, you'll get the right results. You'll miss that big deal. You'll miss certain things. You may not accomplish everything, but if you keep doing the right things that matters the most to your customer, that matters the most for the business. And you'll get the right outcome. You need to have the belief and the process and run that. Then the second side of the equation is, again, sales is a profession, right? Put individuals that would like to be under that spotlight. And when you become a manager, the discussion is how you put the spotlight on the talent you have in the team, not on yourself anymore. Not only do you need to share the spotlight, you need to put the spotlight on them, and you should be comfortable with staying on the background, and that's... Something you need to have one personal piece with and then the second one double down on because uh, that will bring me to the third piece. What makes me the most happy or satisfied as a leadership job? If I have an individual that's highly talented, that gets a bigger role, better role, achieves something personal, then I take that as the biggest accomplishment because when I look at the last, I've been at IBM 10 years, eight years I had people management along the way. but What I took back out of those eight, Years is people. So you can have all the best jobs, all the best deals, all the best sales, and they're great and you enjoy them. But when I look back, what I remember the most is the time that you spend with people to share their experiences and how you collectively grow to something better, bigger, mm. broader. And you helping the individuals get that spotlight, get that exposure, get into the next level. That is, you need to be happy with that as a leader. I think that's the most important part of the job. Um. You said you were talking earlier. Actually, no, you weren't. You were mentioned
0: obviously you moved to the States five years ago for this role. And I'm conscious that in the last 18 months, people have been working from home. I presume you've been through that as well. And therefore, I think we've learned and adapted that, or we've accepted more that people can make a valuable contribution working remotely. And I'm curious as you think about. Your experience of moving five years ago, what you got out of the physical move, as in why that was important to move versus today where maybe people aren't moving as much. It's just not, it's, it's not accepted at the moment, but it's, it, I think it's accepted that you don't need to. And I'm wondering what next year, the year after will look like. Will people move like you did for the job or do they even need anymore?
1: Yeah, I think there are two sides of this story. One, the personal one I would have, which I will come to, and then the second one is at a high level. The high level, I think, you know, if one thing this last eighteen months taught us is, you know, everybody have a life that they need to prioritize. They have a family, they have different priorities. They may have kids at home that they're trying to take care, given schools like those, everything is false. And if you want to get the best out of those in your team as employees. You need to give them the most space you can. Keep them accountable on the outcomes. Make them work on the things that are important, but let them manage their time. Let them manage some of the priorities that they have. Let them manage the execution definitely, and they'll do a much better job. This eighteen months proof that remote working is perfectly fine and it's great. to have lots of tools we can leverage to collaborate. Let's say morale box, Trello, like not that. Not enough tools out there to collaborate or. Project managed things, they work perfectly yeah. fine. We we are so used to now using Zoom or WebEx or any kind of video conferencing, um, that all being said, if I'm talking personally here, yeah. I can, you know, still say I hate working from home. Honestly, I'm used to having that office environment where people are together. I think that is, there are lots of things we can do that will drive collaboration digitally, and that's the world we live in. But I still believe there's a you know, shared value that people get from being in the same, sharing the bread, sharing your meal together, working together on something, getting that stress together, sharing your coffee between breaks, having lunch, just water cooler discussions, if you want to call it that way. But I think that there's tremendous value. I don't think we can replicate that. Moving to U.S. had two sides. One, Professionally, I was engaged in an office environment at least at first, three and a half years, where I was able to build those relationships professionally that leveraging all the capability. But we have always been a large company in U.S. my teams that have been distributed. So we were already working remotely to an extent. So we work on a hybrid model to an extent. Then the second side is, of course, the personal growth, the culture, the exposure you get. And working for IBM is a great experience. I would say living in New York, is also a great experience only it's on its own for different so my suggestion, anyone considering moving well, on, one, they need to look after what their priority first in life. They have family, they have different things that they need to take care of. That's the utmost importance, everything else can be managed. But assuming that they can check that box, they can do the job remotely, they can still succeed very well, no doubt. That's the second side. But the third side of it is there's tremendous value for them to be present son, my difference. Some are unique, some are new for both professionally as well as personally. And they should embrace that experience. I think they will not regret them if they can't. A,
0: a, a less serious note, have you, can you ever get used to American coffee?
1: Yeah. At home, I only make Turkish coffee still. I have a machine. I get, I buy Turkish coffee. I bought the machine online. I still make Turkish coffee. Yeah. Nothing can replace that for me. Outside, yes. So I grab just regular brewed coffee. is <laughs> not have... even coffee. I just try not to compare. It's the early discussion. Yeah. This is what we have here. My go being happy with it. And at home I still make my Turkish coffee and be slightly happy.
0: Yeah, it is. Turkish coffee is unique. And I said, first time I'd order coffee in Turkey. Wow. Yes. Blow your head off. that. Mm-hmm. And it's very sweet,
1: but yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, I go sugarless, but the biggest difference is you would have the ground coffee in the, on the bottom of it still. So it is, I would say like the strongest coffee that you can, that I, I'm used to, that I keep getting. So espresso is like a pretty light version. It in, is. This sense. And if I have Turkish coffee more than yeah. one, then it will definitely feel yeah. the, the
0: espresso stuff for me was when I started going to meetings in Italy and France and, and you get espresso. That was a big change for me. And then Turkey was like, oh yeah, very good. It's an unconscious of time. I want to respect that for you. A couple of questions for you before I let you go. One is, I want you to, and I ask this of everybody and I'm always fascinated by the answers people give. I want you to imagine that your, your apartment or your home is on fire and your family are safe. And your phone and your computer there safe too. And you're outside and they said see you've got time to go
1: run back in and grab one thing. What would it be and why? I have a box. It simply says memory box on it. It has it may have some pictures, it may have some stuff I gathered from here and there just because they had some emotional value to me. They all stay in that one box. I should put it on it probably like first thing to say on fire, a sign on it. But there'll be the box that I will try to capture. That has again, it's the age of digital, but I still a lot of pictures that you cannot replicate. Maybe some written notes, things as such in that, and some small artifacts. That's the box to be saved for sure. Interesting. That's
0: yeah. So it's all sentimental value, really more than it. There's no intrinsic value.
1: Yes, a lot of family related things, friends, small gifts I got. least. Oh, nice. And the other one is when your time on this planet
0: is up, how would you like to be remembered by people?
1: That's a tough question, of course. We all worry about what might we live on this world. My answer to that recently shifted as well in the last, I would say, five to eight years. And My focus has been um, the impact that matters the most is the earlier discussion we had. If I can have some people on the, on this earth still left, thinking that I had a positive impact on their life somehow, somewhere. That is what I would love to take. And that can be again about helping the mouth professionally. It can be about helping the mouth personally. But those are the good memories that you build with people along the way that they may remember you with a smile and they may take be thankful in certain ways, then that's what I would take. Of course, they should remember me as handsome and smart and funny and <laughs> all that stuff. But of, course, of course.
0: But pictures will tell them that. <laughs> it's the memories and experiences will tell them the important stuff. Very good. Very good. Is LinkedIn the best way for people to,
1: to connect with you if they want to? LinkedIn is the best way Paul, yes. They can reach out. I'm happy to answer as much as I can. And as I mentioned, if there's something I can help, it can be mentorship discussions professionally, personally, if I can help, feel free to reach out. I may not be able to do everything, but I can promise I'll do my best. You're a fascinating character. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you very much, Javier
0: Karachis, for being my guest today. Thanks for having me on your show. My pleasure.